I'm Chase. And I'm Timothy. And this is Customer Service. Good morning, Chase. How we doing, buddy? I am fun. It's one of those freaky-ass days, bro, where this weekend I was outside doing my gardening shit in a t-shirt. Mm-hmm beautiful out in fact i was sitting there being like oh the sun's cooking me up you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i can feel it on my back i come out this morning the whole commute past two racks on the highway the highway going the other way was shut down it is a like blizzard shitty like wet snow today sucks dude it's like one of those days where you're like this is we gotta be done with this yeah, snow in April gets to the point where you're just like, oh come on! Like, uh, sounds like an emo are, band name, Snow in April, <laughs> or like a like a math rock band, yeah, Snow in April, where it's like one guitar, but it's like an acoustic <laughs> guitar, but a double bass on the on the drums. <laughs> yeah, and they might they might open by doing. <laughs> I'm saying this because of a band where I'm from, but they might open every set by reciting a Charles Bukowski poem or something. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely like movie quotes in between the songs. That's uh-huh. for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a lot of like eternal sunshine chicks in the crowd yeah, like saying. an ironic like drew barrymore movie or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's not great it's not, not great. great you don't love snow this late but it's i feel like i feel like hopefully this is the last of it because i think it's supposed to get nice after this but you never know bro i mean we're looking at Who like cares? 78 degrees next week we'll see that's what oh. they say all right well we got a. Uh, Got a our, really good guest today. A really today. great guest today, yeah. yeah. Jake Wolf. He I, I I we get into it a little bit. I, I knew him from an article he did for Hype Beast a long time a long, long time ago. And then just kind of kept up because I liked his writing style. Yeah. He's written for GQ, he's written for Rob Report, he's got it, he's got a TikTok that's very popular, he's great on Twitter. I mean, anywhere where you want to go to make content, the guy's making content yeah. and he's yeah. and he's doing it in a fun way that still feels like young and fresh, but he's got perspective into what he's yeah. saying. And I think that's what a lot of times like, like uh, younger content creators, that's where I think things get messy where it's like, I don't think you got a lot of like, uh, you haven't put a lot of context to what you're mm-hmm. doing. So he's got that. He's got to go, man. It, it was a fun chat. He's, uh, he was down to clown. He's down to just yeah, yeah. chit chat. Yeah. So is it, we really enjoyed our conversation with them. I think you're going to as well. Yeah. Kind of, kind of felt like a homie that we've had. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. it didn't feel like, I don't know. You love a guy like that. Yeah. Yeah. But right, yeah, it was well, a fun conversation. Just bullshit. And so let's not waste any more time. Uh, let's get right into it with old Jake here. Let's hop into it. Let's go. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that last one in. Jesus. Like, like, what's it like growing up in Connecticut? I mean, I know you, I mean, I know when you ask that question, it's like, I don't know where I, I didn't grow mm-hmm. up anywhere else. So I don't know. But like, did you, did you like growing up there? Did, cause we're, we're both from the Midwest. So we, we have this very similar mentality of like, we, we wanted out. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is that the same in Connecticut or because it's close to the city? Did you not feel as like pent up? I think there's definitely that similar feeling of you want to yeah. get out. Um, and, and, you know, despite the fact that you are, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, outside of New York, it couldn't feel further, you know, like, Hmm. you know, I, I think it it wasn't like, I mean, there were obviously some kids whose parents, you know, worked in the city or whatever. So maybe their relationship was different. My parents did not work in New York. So it sort of felt like we were in a different place. And, you know, when, when you went into New York, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't so casual either. Like it was casual in the sense that all you had to do was drive to the train and get on the train, but it still felt like an event. And it wasn't like, you know, I was really exploring New York in, yeah. in the way that a person who grew up there would like, I was very mm-hmm. unaware of sort of the, 
the machinations of actual city life. It was very much like you take the train in and you go to, you know, Times Square and you go to ESPN zone and you <laughs> yeah. go to the, go to the NBA store. And then, you know, as I got older and was a teenager, you know, I just could start going in, in by myself. And that's only then when I started, you know, picking out sort of destinations that might yeah. be outside of that little tourist bubble and then being like, Oh, I want to go to this exact place. But, but, even thinking back, it's like, I didn't really have any sense of like direction or neighborhoods or anything like that. It wasn't until I, I started going to the city or living in the city yeah. as um, a college student that I really got to, you know, see that side of it. Yeah. yeah. Wait, do you live there now in New York? No, so I'm actually in Connecticut right now. Oh, um, sorry. yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm in Connecticut. Um, basically just, um, building up, you know, what, what I've been working on for the past year or so, which is like the freelance writing and the content creation on the TikTok side, as well as my newsletter, um, sort of just using, using CT as like a little bit of a, uh, of a hideout while, yeah. uh, building up those, that, that part of, of, of my work, um, through the writing, like I said, in the content creation. Um, and now I'm sort of in a unique position where, you know, uh, effectively I, I was here because I, as a freelancer, it was the first time that I've really done freelance work uh, full time. And so I really had no idea about like what that looked like or particularly from, you know, this is boring, but like from a tax perspective, what that would look like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so now that tax season has come and I've sort of understood that it's like, okay, great. Now I understand like how much money I have to set aside for those things. Um, how much money I'll actually be making and, and bringing in. So now I'm in this sort of really unique position where, um, I can kind of choose where it is that I want to live. And, you know, I posed a question on, on Twitter a couple of months ago that was like, you know, if I didn't live in New York or LA, cause those are really the only two cities that I ever lived in, yeah. um, where, where would I live? And, um, got a lot of interesting responses. Um, uh, I don't know if they were, if, I don't know if the whole process was super helpful, but you know, there, there were some, uh, interesting suggestions, uh, yeah, was for there- sure, you know, was there anything that kind of like was recurring? Are you now, entertaining or? anything now? Um, in terms of, you know, that's what was so interesting about people suggest there wasn't a whole lot of recurring. It was sort of like people just suggested wherever they were from. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, so like, you know, I got, a, I got a lot of, I mean, there were, there were, there were some suggestions that I would have never even considered. And, and to honestly, probably still, I'm not truly considering in any of those places, but I was like, Oh, that's a place I actually haven't thought of whether it was Charlotte, North Carolina or like Nashville or yeah. even, you know, like da- Dallas, Fort worth, you know, like places like that where you're like, Oh, I would have never even thought that that would even be a thing that I could possibly do. And then, yeah. you know, that sort of sends me back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier about sort of just, you know, laying in bed at night, looking at Zillow, being like, I wonder how much a one bedroom costs in this city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Like, cause I think that like it used to, it used to be, and I, and I, and I'm here with you. Like in my mind, if, if, if this job dropped out, if everything changed, I'd be like, well, I guess I got to go to New York or LA. Like I just, I, it's always been like, it, those are the only two places that I guess Chicago, just cause I have, I have like a lot of friends and family there. Right. But like, but like, you know, it was just those two places really. And I think for a long time, if you got into fashion, you didn't even entertain potentially living anywhere else. But that was also, at least in my case, because 
it's not what it is now. Like it wasn't accessible unless you sort of lived there. And if you really wanted to be on the pulse and know things, you had to do that. And I'm telling you as someone who buys for a relatively large store, like I don't need, I haven't, we've barely traveled in the past four years and it really hasn't affected anything. And I think like the presence of social media, all of these new content like avenues, like you can keep a pulse without leaving somewhere. You know what I mean? I don't think it's hard at all at this point. Do you, do you feel in your heart that it's still like necessary to be in one of those cities or do you think it like, like I'm saying, do you think it doesn't really matter or at least not matter as much? Well, it probably doesn't matter as much. I guess what keeps me, um, what keeps me thinking about those two places above anywhere else is, um, I, I guess there is sort of a sense as, you know, someone who, who's doing content creation, you know, yeah. on, on TikTok and, and stuff like that, or, or just like someone who's, you know, writing for places like GQ and, and things like that. Um, there, there just seems to be a lot of opportunities still to see people face to face in person, whether that's like something as simple as a, as a press preview for a brand to, you know, some brand might be having a holiday party. Like th- those are, those are not like obviously the, the yeah. meat and potatoes of, of what makes the industry run, but, and, and maybe it's just like ego and vanity or something, but there is a sort of sense for me, if I'm not around for, e- for even having the option to do those things, I, I think to myself, I wonder if I would feel some sort of sense of, of FOMO, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I totally know what you mean. And it's like, I also still think that like, even though it's like, I know that I probably wouldn't need some of the stuff professionally. I'd still like if you were to like, well, you have to move tomorrow. I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's New York or L.A. Probably L.A. because <laughs> I gotten spoiled by the West weather. But like outside of that, like well, that's where I'm going. You know, I like I don't have any thought outside of that. And I really like I don't like a lot of the stuff that like attracts people to different places. Me personally, Chase is going to have the opposite <laughs> of opinion here. But like I don't I don't care about owning homes or like yeah. land or anything like this, like doesn't have never been my interest. So like I could care less. So I'd go either place, but like, yeah, I, I still in my head, I'm like, yeah, I gotta, you gotta be in them. Even though I'm like, I don't know One why it just yeah. feels, I don't know. Like you're saying it's probably FOMO. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I do appreciate that you've sort of taken a nihilistic approach to the whole ownership of anything as, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a millennial too. So I sort of feel that sense as well where I'm like, Oh, forget it, man. Like, yeah. who cares? It's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, yeah, just, just, it, it's over. It's done. I'm just going to rent forever. Just take my money, landlords. Yeah. That's it. Goodbye. Yeah. We're, 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 I'm, we're investing in different things. Not that, especially like, I'm going to have to get the paper really high up, especially when I was like, it really died in me when I was like, Oh, sick. Okay. Well, the one good thing about not having to live in a big city is you can buy a home, cheap, cheap, cheap housing. And I moved yeah. here and I'm like, Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Right back in the, right back in the, in the fucking swamp. So we were talking yeah. last night about it and, and we've, you know, it, it, it sucks that it seems like such a pipe dream. I could move to rural Ohio buy a, a big old plot of land with two houses on it, have four trucks, snowmobiles, etc. But, and, and this guy's put and, 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 and he could pull an Arby's salary and do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like out here short, short of winning the lottery or having family money 
or being the small percentage that strikes it really rich by just working hard. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's just not going to happen. Uh, no, especially so. if you, and I know you're the same, bro. You, you got like expensive tastes in clothes and shit. And it's like, Oh, it's never <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> I'm never going to quite get there. Or it's going to take, I'm yeah, do- like, you know, I, it's like literally, you know, it's that classic <laughs> meme of like, of like, you know, food, $500, uh, electricity, a hundred dollars, clothes, Twenty eight hundred dollars. My family is dying. <laughs> Someone who's good at economy, please help me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, it's, it's part. It's part of the budget, man. It's part of the budget. I can't help it. It's too. It, I'm way too far in now. So yeah. I've made it a whole career. So I can't stop. Exactly. You know what is nice about here? And Jake, I know you're into golf. Is uh, I, my golfing season has already started. I've been golfing for the last couple of weeks. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. I actually like literally today, you just caught, caught me on a day where, um, it's like, you know, 68 degrees or maybe yeah. not 68, but like 61 degrees and, and sunny actually here, here in Connecticut, which, um, you know, is like ideal, ideal golf weather. Oh yeah, so, bro. Yeah. Are the courses open? Like out here, it's kind of a situation where like, bro, if it's, if, it, if we get a 50 degree day in January and there's no snow, like you can go golf. The, the courses are, are year round. I, you know, I'm, they definitely shut down when there's a lot of snow, but I feel like if you catch a nice sunny day, you can golf year round here in Colorado in Connecticut. Is it, is it like that? Or I, I'd have to imagine it's kind of like where I'm from, where it's it snows in November and there's snow till April. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, they're, they're open. So, you know, you'll, you'll see, um, people, you know, golfing yeah. on a, you know, 46 degree, like random February day for sure. sure. Um, you know, that's never really been, been my thing. Um, but you know, <laughs> I respect it. And, and cause you know, it's like, you know, you live here year round and it's like, you get six months of the year where, you know, theoretically you won't be able to play golf. And then there's sort of this, like rust getting off in, in spring when you have to come back out. And mm-hmm. that's like, you know, I lived in LA for two years and that was one of the, uh, it was just really good for my game because I never had like an off season where I just wasn't swinging a club or even thinking about playing. It was like all year round, you can sort of consistently get in around here and around there. And it turns out that the more golf you play, the sort of better you become. So that was, that yeah. was a really nice, <laughs> nice part, you know? Yeah. And speaking of expenses, that's also not a cheap sport in any regard. It's uh, no, it's a no. every time payment plus a down payment of depending on what you want in clubs, you know, a couple thousand and God, yeah, it's fucking expensive. But and, and, and the companies themselves are really, really smart at the way that they I mean, they basically have like an iPhone model of business, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, yeah. where it's like, no, this year we cracked the code, guys. It's different. Yeah. It's we, different. We have it figured out now. Actually, we we've adjusted, and they're always using terms that like sound scientific that you don't really understand, but like you're like, oh, well, I believe that. It's like we've lowered the center of gravity, and, and our and the titanium uh-huh. base is is twenty six percent lighter and and faster, yeah. and, and you're like, well, well, shit. I guess now I I need to spend five hundred more dollars on the new driver. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually buying a, so our buddy Cooper who used to work for the shop for years, he's been on the pod. Um, he got really into it last year. So I had been going with him and I, I actually just played with his clubs. Like we all summer, I just played with his clubs. So I'm buying his clubs this year because he's doing the same thing. It's like, yeah, you know, the, I'm, I'm going to buy the upgraded versions of the one I have, you know, they changed this and that about it. I'm like, I don't know, bro, your clubs. Hit pretty I can, well I can never begin any of these sort of like club sports because of, because of my my addiction to everything you guys are saying. Like, I don't even need to know what it is. And I'm like, I would immediately look up what are the best golf clubs you 
could buy. And <laughs> yeah. then I would start there and go for the ones directly underneath, still much too expensive uh-huh, uh-huh. for my skill set. But and, uh, and then it would just go from there because it doesn't it doesn't. It's like the same thing with guitars. I'm not sure I'm improving at guitars at this point. I pretty much know what I know. Yeah. And it gets me by. But I keep buying the new shit every oh, single dude. like a, anytime something comes out. I'm like, well, I got to have it. And they make it look so nice with the yeah, shiny just, metal and the, the, you know, the, the engraved logos like a Titleist uh, wedge or something is like the most aesthetically pleasing thing to look give at. Me, give me, can one of you guys give me the price point? What's let's say, what's like an expensive club? I mean, uh, I well, and, yeah, I would say drivers now have sort of, you know, in, in our inflation times, I actually have no idea if it's related to that or if they're just raising prices, but <laughs> it seems like, Both. seems like nice drivers now are either four ninety nine or five ninety nine. Yeah. That's for a single um, one. A oh, single, yeah, that's, but, that, but that's, but that's your, but that's like, that's the most expensive single club that yeah. you'll buy. Um, an iron set. So, you know, typically that's either three or four iron through pitching wedge. So three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wedge. Um, those are, you know, a, 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 an inexpensive set is probably a thousand and an expensive set can be 2,500 for sure. Yeah putters you know you're looking at three to five hundred depending on the putter and then you know you want a couple wedges and those are usually around i guess 140 150 i think Mm -hmm. i actually haven't bought a new wedge in a while so i'm not sure and then and then you gotta either either you're crafty like i am and you hawk all the balls while you're playing like you crawl into the rivers or what what have you and you go you know stack a whole bunch of balls and then you know you might need to get the club's size to you or you want like a fat grip on your putter so it has like a good feel you know what i mean there's endless customization just to get in just to get in the door this is before i started paying to go i'm like 10k deep I mean, four, four, or five. Gonna if you're going to invest, stuff. bro, if you're going to invest at least four or five, yeah, probably. Half it, I, I, yeah. I was going to say, having said that, you know, uh, one of my friends, um, Cole Young, who has a brand called Metalwood, um, he he has like this whole series um, right now where he's basically going to like secondhand shops and finding like really hidden gems, oh. and he, he's. He's a really he's a really good golfer. So, you know, I think one of the benefits of that is that, you know, you can kind of put any club in his hands and he can make it work Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, always relying on the best of the best newest technology. Um, so I, I mean, like I, theoretically, you know, if you're if you if you're getting clubs that are only a couple years old, like you could probably get the whole deal in under yeah, like fifteen hundred probably, you know, for like a couple year old stuff here and there. Um, but then, yeah, like there's the idea of fitting clubs, which is, which is an additional cost, but, but I think, you know, quite important for Mm -hmm. most golfers to like, it just, it's like the same way that, you know, you would want anything to be, to be tailored to you, you know, and your, and your swing and your body and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Hawking balls thing is also, is also a good strategy. Although I will tell you, there's one thing that I like heard recently about that, that kind of messed me up, which was like you know, if you find like a waterlogged ball or like, you know, a ball like that's sort of been on the edge of a river or something or a Creek or pond or whatever that you can grab, like it actually affects the ball's performance because of all the water that's gotten in it. It's like, you might not feel it, but it actually does affect it. I don't know if that was just like big golf ball propaganda Uh, that got to me somehow, Yeah, but it kind of got in my, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Big, big golf ball TM, uh, just like Uh putting, putting these content creator plants out there to like get people to buy new balls. But um, yeah, it, it kind of got, got in my head and now I'm like, every you time know? I find one, I'm like, Oh, do I really want that one? That's going to yeah. be like, that's going to go, you know, 
one to two yards shorter, which is really going to affect me as a 10 handicappers game. You know, it's really going to be the difference. Ooh, right there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things because bro, I'm not above it. I've absolutely picked up and hit the balls that have been like, you know, partially buried over winter and they come up and there's like a sunspot where the little pieces poking through like I'll, I'll hit those balls no doubt now i'm gonna think oh, about absolutely. it every time I, though. I i know sorry sorry dude I, <laughs> I didn't mean to mess mess that up for you because i i have always done that as well you know like yeah, you walk yeah. around you're like oh you're like oh someone just left a, a pro v1 here like that they probably couldn't find like someone just left this here like what a what a gift from god you know of course yeah yeah I just feel like what I would do is I'd only go for those balls. And then if I hit a good one, I'd be like, see, I'm way better than you motherfuckers because I hit this, I hit this thing. It was all busted up. And uh-huh. then if I miss it, I'd be like, shit, uh, man, it's, trash it's, all, it's a trash ball. <laughs> you've already, you've already got the, the, the sort of trash talk sort of excuse game down. It's like a fine line between yeah. the two. No, yeah, Timothy, is, Timothy, a, go ahead, Jake, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's just, it's an important part of the game. Yeah, he w- he would do well on a golf course. I think. I I actually I worked on a golf course for a long time. My my parents' house butted up to like the 18th hole of this golf course in town. Uh, that sounds fancy. It was not fancy. This was a <laughs> this was an 18 hole privately owned golf course, and I think they got in trouble two to three different times for selling cocaine out of it. <laughs> and, but I worked at it for a long time. And I never played. I've still, I've never played a round of golf. I worked there for like three years or something. I mostly just like washed carts and then like served and like, you know, stuff like this. I love the atmosphere though. Oh, I love, I love the, the type of people. Yeah. That's so fascinating that you work there and didn't play. Never played. For for me, I I also, that was like my first job was working at a country club doing exactly the same stuff, you know, washing carts and, and then, you know, going to the range and, and grabbing balls uh, at the end of the day and like all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was also like, yeah, I was kind of just there, you know, cause I wanted to, one of the core benefits of working there was like at the end of the day during the summer, you know, after everyone, if your like work was done, you could go out and, you know, walk a few holes and that was, that was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at a course too. So, uh, turns out we're all bros. I, I, yeah, it was it's, a great it's, it's job. A good, it's a good first job. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't know how many, you know, young fellas you got out there listening to the pod, but you know, good first job. If you can get a country club. Oh, game, yeah. Cause, Cause also, also it's like one of those things where like, you're probably not, at least my situation was like the hourly rate was probably a, a whisper above minimum wage, but you know, you can get some, some guys who are feeling, you know, loose off the course after a few cocktails and then they'll come sure. in and toss you a five or a 10 to watch their, to wash their clubs so oh yeah oh yeah that that sounds bad by the way it's like give you give you, you know co- come in after filling loose and give you five ten ten bucks to wash their clubs but actually it was that's actually what i meant with wash their clubs that's no different oh, no, get, that's yeah. no different than me getting a little loose at an airport waiting for a flight and getting my converse shined up you know what i mean it's no yeah. different <laughs> there's no difference yeah exactly exactly yeah we i mean it was just a great excuse to like basically the guys would just like this guy was a little i mean again it was a different type of golf course yeah, yeah. but he'd like our tip from the guy that owned it would be like he'd give us a couple beers we were like 14 <laughs> and we, we were allowed to like drive around and drink those yeah, while we yeah. while we picked balls up and stuff but yeah, I mean, we just, you're exactly right. That's what we did too. It's like we washed carts while people were out. We yep. washed clubs when they got back, tried to steal tips. And then we would like, we'd go into the dining area and serve drinks, which again, yeah. we weren't supposed to be doing. But 
I met a lot of people. I learned, I definitely learned how to kind of like shit talk and not be scared 100%. of like adults. You know what I mean? When I was a yeah. kid. So it was like, it's, it was, it was a great job. I would lie. I would do it again today just cause it was fun. Agreed. Yeah. The atmosphere at a golf course is untouched working there was sick. We had a group of regulars that a couple of them were owners, but it'd be probably a dozen old retired fellows come in seven twenty every morning. They tee off at seven thirty. They and every morning and you got to know these fellas and they're they're bitching about the old ball and chain and they're yeah. smoking cigars and old they're just imp- imparting just like bullshit Midwest wisdom, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's just uh yeah, you learn how to talk some shit. You get comfortable around some old fellas and it's great. Yeah. The mailman would stop on his shift every day and bullshit for a half an hour. <laughs> it, uh, he wasn't like done with his job. He would just stop at the course and hang out for a while nice nice so there was like a certain uh segment of his route that was getting their mail late because the guy just had to stop and and he had to come smoke a cigar and just see how everyone shot for the day and bullshit maybe have a hot dog and yeah just chilling one time when i was so, working there i slid off of the back of a golf because i was working there illegally they're just paying me cash and i slid off the back of a golf cart <laughs> and it like and it cut my shin like to where you it like exposed the bone and, you know, oh I went God. into the clubhouse and I was like, yo, you, we got to put something on this. Like, I, you know, like, it's really bad. Like it, it killed. And the guy was so scared. I was going to sue him. He literally just goes, all right, all right. Gives me a hundred dollar bill. He goes, get out of here. Get out of here. Go home, <laughs> run home, run home. Don't come back. So that was, that was literally the end of my job there is I got injured, got paid $100 to leave as quickly as possible. And I was never yeah. allowed back. That's amazing. That's so funny. I guess like only like, we like funny thing like that, that happened to me was um one of the one of the jobs that that you would have is like around tournament time was to be a spotter out on the course like for some of like the big the bigger like money tournaments yeah so basically you know my job was to show up at like five in the morning like first tee times you know went out at whatever 7 a.m sharp so you know get there at five and like prep all the carts and then literally just go drive out in a car and sit near the fairway on like the seventh hole and it was just so early and I had just been up late the night before, just like doing whatever I was doing in high school. And then, you know, literally just like fell asleep <laughs> out there and, and, got, and, got, and got totally busted um, for just like, cause like, you know, the guys like showed up being like, did you see where my drive went? And it was sort of like me sleeping. They'd be like, huh, what? What? Oh yeah, totally. It definitely <laughs> yeah, saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you crushed it, dude. You really yeah, got around no, on that one. Throw one out of yeah. your pocket. Oh, I got it right you here. Pipe that one. Yeah, yeah you, you pipe that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, I love that. Um, but it was yeah. No, over, overall, it was, it was a great time, and and yeah, definitely um, glad that that was my first job. Yeah. Jake, the the way that I know you actually, I wanted to bring this up uh, at some point is that. Uh, the way I was made aware of you, at least, is you you wrote for Hype Beast, right, for a little while. Yeah, so that was literally my first ever writing job. Well, this is the, well. The reason I'm asking is because the first time that I like I knew Hype Beast and would check on it, but it wasn't like you know in my little blog role. It wasn't my like first one that I went to or anything. But I would keep up on it, and I remember the the first the time I started like paying more attention was because of the Glenn O'Brien thing. Oh, wow. That's really, really cool. I mean, that was literally my first interview ever. That's like, fucking that was the f- crazy, bro. Yeah. that. So that was like the really probably the first time, one of the first times, at least I could be wrong because um, it was so long ago. But that was like one of the first interviews that I ever did, like as a quote unquote menswear writer or journalist or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and that, you know, I was so stoked. 
I was still in college. And so I was so excited just to be writing for Hypebeast because, you know, in 2006 through 2009, like, you know, last few years of high school, that was, you know, the site that I would check uh, every day. Yeah, and I mean, so when I got that, it was yeah, like the only place or street where news existed for a while. Yeah, exactly. And it was sort of formative to my education of, of, you know, what a lot of brands were. Um, and, uh, so when I got to write for them, I, I was just really, really excited and sort of, um, you know, they would assign me sort of blog posts in the mornings. So basically the way that it worked is, is, you know, I'd wake up early in the morning and I'd log into the website and there would be like, you know, three or four, um, things in the WordPress that would, have the name of the article, maybe like a link to a press release in it, and then like your author name. And then next to it, there would be a little tag that said like needs text or whatever. Mm. And so that, that was sort of the workflow. Um, but then I was like, you know, I'll, I have my name on Hypebeast, like maybe I can, and I'm in New York. Um, so maybe I can use this to sort of meet some of these people who I knew about. And so, yeah, one of the first people that I thought about was was glenn because i had read all of his work you know as the style guy at gq yeah and so yeah just it just sort of became this thing where i would just sort of reach out to people on on twitter or elsewhere and just say hey you know my name is jake you know i'm um a writer for hypebeast i was just wondering if we could maybe set up an interview or whatever and you know he graciously got back to me and i really didn't didn't really know what i was doing but i was like all right i guess we need like a photographer also so i asked my friend mike um, who, uh, goes, I think, I think he's like Instagram now is like snaps and why, um, mm-hmm. so I, he's, he's still working. Um, and, and so I just hit him up cause he was like one of the only photographers I knew. And I said, Hey, like we're going to do this interview. Can you come with me to this place or whatever, whatever. And, and yeah, his he apartment, just, like, invited, right? yeah, it was his apartment. Fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I was, I was extremely nervous the entire time. hundred um, percent. I mean, he's, I, he's, know, I think he is maybe one of the more important people that has that have existed in like in fashion and culture in a long time. And I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. Yeah, to me and, and to me, you know, he was one of the reasons why I wanted to, to write about Absolutely. about close period was because of the style guy column. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was extremely nervous that that whole interview and just, you know, did a lot of I actually for whatever reason, I was just curious about it recently. And I went back and just like looked at it and I was actually like pleasantly surprised at some of the questions that I asked him. Um, they weren't like, I wasn't saying like they were brilliant or anything, but I was like, Oh, like, like not bad. Like I actually think that I, in the, when I thought back on it, I was like, Oh, this is probably terrible. And it wasn't as terrible as I thought. Um, but I think the part of that was just because I admired him so much that I really tried to put my best foot forward on it. Well, and you know, man, I, th- this is, this is the one thing that I remember from the interview and I'm not going to quote it the right way, but I wrote it down because I because I've remembered it for a while because I've, I've read like everything I can about the guy and your thing in particular. You talked about him bringing like like kind of like hype beast doing and you doing and him. And I'm not I'm probably messing up the context a little bit, but I just really liked how I think you said something or he said kind of you maybe you'll remember since you said you read it recently. It was something about agreeing like bringing the underground overground. And I really liked that because it was like that's exactly like what Glenn O'Brien has been doing for a long time. And I never, cause I, the reason I clicked on it in the first place was like Glenn O'Brien for hype beast. And I was like, what the hell? It just, it didn't, I'm not saying it felt beneath him. It just felt like I'm surprised he's, I, I'm surprised he knows what this is. I mean, he was an older dude at that point. Right. I mean, yeah. And it's like, and, and like when, when you'd put it that way, I'm like, Oh, this is exactly where he should be. This is like what at the time he was basically a lot of the times writing about, yes, he wrote a lot about like kind of like gentleman thing, but he was, he was the, what I liked about his writing a lot of times was, was like, 
fuck the stereotype. You know what I mean? Like, do you? And that's what I liked about so much. Like, he he really cared about personal style more than I think anyone else did at the time. It wasn't just like, buy this, buy that, and you'll be this guy. It was like, you got to do you. And I really liked that. I really liked the way it was worded. I, I just really, that, that, that interview stuck with me for a long time. Oh, well, thank you, man. And, and I think also part of the reason why I think it made sense to me for Hypebeast was because, you know, in the, in the 10 year anniversary Supreme book, you know, he wrote, um, he wrote the foreword, I, yeah. I think for, for that. And so, you know, and, and coming from the sort of menswear side, as well as also me coming from, you know, like as a reader of Hypebeast side, he, he existed in this very cool crossover to me of someone who was like, you know, he, he's, he can tell you all the things you need to know about wearing suits and ties and stuff, but sure. You know, he also owns, you know, an M65 jacket from Supreme and a few graphic tees and and things like that. So um, I, I thought that that was a really cool mix of of those two worlds at the time. And something that's obviously, you know, become the industry standard is sort of mixing those two things. But, you know, for him, it was it was it was a very authentic uh, approach to it coming from just just an appreciation of clothing as well as an appreciation of culture. So him sort of being able to come across a brand like Supreme. And I, I think he talks about how he discovered the brand because he was walking by the store and they were playing an episode of TV party, his show in the window. Uh-huh. And so he came, he came, he came into the, knowing the brand through like a, Oh, they know what's up sort of thing. And then over time sort of became to respect the sort of approach that they, they, they took and the quality and care that they approached design and, and product um, creation with. And so it was just like a natural fit for him. Uh, to, to appreciate both sort of sides of, of the menswear world. And, you know, 15 or so years later, you know, that's sort of like what, what the whole, the whole thing is at this point is, is a mix of different uh, aesthetics and, and cultures and ideas and putting them all into one's own personal style. Well, you know, I, and I've, and I've read some things are like, maybe it's probably, probably from like TikTok and shit, but like, I've heard you talk like the, the conversation about uniform versus experimentation a lot. I think it's something that like, you're kind of touching on with like Glenn O'Brien was someone who could somehow like exist in both worlds, like you're saying. And I think that there's an occasional person that can do that. That seems to just have the taste level to know this is where I can enter this thing. This is how I will enter it. And I'm able to like push what my personal style is while the dude never looked like not classic. And we talk about it or think about it a lot. Certainly of like, cause there's time I totally get why guys want to have this like uniform and I, and I like respect the discipline and I like, I I totally get it. And like guys that are even just are just like, I, we know guys that are like, I'm a hundred percent engineered garments and I, and I've sold to them for eons and it's like, they literally are, they don't own anything (laughs) else. And if they did, it's pretty much, it's like a needles piece or something. It's like pretty much the same thing. And it's like, and I respect it and I like it. It's not for me personally. And I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Because it's like, I think about, I ju- we just think about it a lot of like, I, I could go either way any single day. And I, yeah. and I've, and as I've gotten older, I've just been okay with like, yeah, you just do whatever you want that day. I mean, that that's, that's where my head's at. But at the same time, there is times where it's like, man, I'd love to just like get rid of it all and start over. And I'm sure you're the same. Yeah. I go through, I go through that probably once a year, that yeah. feeling of like, oh man, there's nothing that in this, in this closet that I, that I want to wear at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it, it comes and goes like that feeling will usually last for, you know, like a couple of weeks and then I'll sort of, you know, realize that there's something in my wardrobe that I just have been neglecting for a while. And I'll sort of start wearing that. Um, you know, the, the idea of it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to say like 
I don't think there's any correct way to do it. I, I mean, sometimes I respect, I have, I have a certain amount of respect for people who can just wear one brand head to toe. And they're like, this is the brand that works for me. And I don't need to veer. Like there seems to be some sense of serenity in that, that I don't have. Um, so I respect, I respect it from that perspective as well as yeah. just people who, who know exactly what cuts of things work for them. And, mm-hmm. um, again, it just sounds, it kind of sounds peaceful because as opposed to like the sort of approach that I've always had, which is like, Oh man, will that work? How about that? Let me try this. Let me try that. And you're sort of yeah. constantly in, in motion. I think, you know, I think as, as a lot of people probably experience, you know, the older I get, the more I feel like there are certain things that I just keep around and, and like, I know that work. And, and sometimes that manifests in the form of specific pieces. Like a few years ago, I got a pair of vintage 501s that just so happened to be for me personally happened to like fit perfectly. And so I just have continued to wear that same pair of jeans for three years. And that has sort of provided like a really good basis and template for a lot yeah, of outfits. Yeah. Um, or even like this past winter, you know, I was just on the hunt for like a oversized double breasted overcoat and just got lucky that like I went on eBay and just found one for like 150 bucks or, and um, it, I just got it and it fit the way I wanted to like a little bit oversized and, and that was like the main coat other than like, you know, like a North face puffer, but that was like the main coat that I ended up wearing all year because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I guess, I guess what all that is to say is like, I've sort of found myself in this place now where I'm sort of looking for like the perfect versions of things. And then, you know, though, knowing that those things, once I find them, I'll just be able to wear them over and over and over again. Um, yeah. as opposed to sort of being in this sort of chaos state of like, Oh, to, like try that, try that, try that. It's like, no, like what experiences can I take from, you know, the past 15 years of being yeah. interested in this industry and sort of find like the, the ideal version of a thing and then keep that around for, you know, as long as it holds up or as long as possible. Like in the example of those Levi's jeans, you know, I've had them repaired like two or three times already just because I, yeah, I like don't, sick. it's like, I, I'm actually kind of nervous that I won't be able to find a pair of jeans that are as good as those again. Yeah. 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 It's it's funny. I've I've done the same thing as you, and I think it gets to a point where, like like you're saying, you have so many things in motion. You've got two pair of pants that might not be your exact flavor, or might not be your usual go to, and you've got this and that. And then what you're left with are a bunch of odds and ends that maybe don't all work together, and you're not necessarily comfortable, quote unquote, in all of them. And then you end up just reaching back to, like you said, you got those 501s that are perfect. I, I did the same thing when I started working here. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can pull that off. And then I spent probably two years of buying these things and experimenting and maybe I'll be this guy. And so, you know, whatever it is, bought a pair of dunks or whatever it is. And now five and a half years into this job and being and longer being involved in clothes, I just buy fatigues from the same two brands and I buy jackets that all kind of are the same thing from two brands and yeah like you said there is a serenity about it i uh i might have a panic here and there and be like i don't i don't feel good in how i look today but for the most part i love all my shit and i'm done playing the game kind of well i think jake i know you do a lot of like celebrity style like stuff you know what i mean yeah. for, I, see i feel like a lot of my like my desire for a change will be like i'll see it's celebrity or any, or like a lookbook yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. And I'll see something and I'll go, 
oh, that's, yeah. that's who I envision myself being. And then I just sort of like spin on that for a year. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of like trying to get this like thing just right. And by the time I'm bored with it or I've sort of locked in the thing, then I get bored with it and want to do it yeah. again. And then I like see something different. So it's really hard, I think, to follow like style like that, especially like you do, and then not sort of get like coerced into being like, fuck, man, I kind of want to be this guy or that guy uh, now. You know, I got to get some neck tattoos and hand tattoos <laughs> so I can be like Gosling and place beyond the pines. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, exactly. that's yeah. Yeah. clearly wow, what wow. I need he, to do. He's, he is literally me for real, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, how did, they, how did they nail that so yeah. hard? Yeah. <laughs> I also owned a dirt bike when I was younger, but I didn't look this good. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you think, totally. like, what, do you, like, do you follow that stuff because of work or have you always followed like celebrity style and all that? Um, I, I think I always have, you know, like, I think even just from a young age, like, you know, seeing, you know, you'll see like a celebrity in, in, in GQ or like, you know, you'll see someone you think looks cool in a movie. And I think like, that's a, a really, you, you know, that was a really formative mm-hmm. entry point into the whole idea of, of like cool clothes in, in general for me. Um, you know, like what I probably, I would say, you know, when you're a teenager is probably for me, like the time when you're, you sort of become cognizant of like what, for me, like what, of what good movies are like that sort of 14, 15, 16, 17 year old age. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, seeing movies like no country for old men and, and, you know, like seeing like Western shirts and like old, old Ford Broncos and things like that. And you're sort of just like, Oh, like what is that stuff? You know? Cause I'm not really, I wasn't super aware of like products at that point you know like i was starting to get interested in them and learning about sneakers and stuff like that but just you know you'll you'll see something like that and then just become interested in 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 the exploring like what makes that thing cool and why do you why are you drawn to it in a certain way yeah um and then you know like uh definitely seeing celebrities wear things throughout the years has has been a good entry point for my personal style. Like I, I won't deny it. Um, for a long time, I think like, you know, it was definitely Kanye West. Um, you know, because that, that just goes back to being in high school and, you know, reading his blog as sort of one of the thing, one of the sort of cultural, um, uh, like mood board or like whatever you want to call it. Like someone should have archived that thing, dude. It was so good back in the day. It's out there for sure. It's gotta be right. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least yeah, I remember like it as being some- good and maybe I'll let it, I'll let it go there, <laughs> but I remember it being really good. Yeah. It was just, it was just, it was just cool to like, see, you know, at that point in time, you know, a huge su- like platinum superstar who, who was putting out their interest in things on a, on a day-to-day basis. Like, and literally pretty much like he, he never really missed a day. And yeah. sometimes would post, you know, 10 times in a day. And so you'd refresh the website and be like, oh, wow. Like he's, he just posted 10 new things or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, like celebrity style has, has kind of always played a part in, in sort of like my entry point into discovering things. And, um, you know, as I've got older, I, I, I definitely think that part of it is, is, is knowing that ha- that's how I, came into understanding a lot of clothes at a younger age mm-hmm. and understanding like, you know, on, on, on TikTok or even, you know, to a certain extent, like the audience of GQ or any website that I'm writing for, I, you know, I think that it's just a really good way for people who maybe aren't, don't have 10 years of experience to like discover new things or new brands or the way to wear a certain thing. Um, and, and, you know, as you were saying, like to try out something new is like seeing it working well on, 
someone who they recognize can sort of put yeah. someone at ease or give them a sense of comfort in being like, Oh, like I, I understand how that thing should look now, or that's a brand I've never heard of before. Like, let me look into that more. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. just, I, you know, I just, I, I think it just remains a really good, a really good learning tool or, or teaching tool for personal style for, um, for a wide swath of the population. Jake, you, you mentioned no country for old men and that got me spinning. Is there something that you could cite? Like, is there a movie you saw or a character in a show, something you saw like that when you were like, I'm going to try to replicate this. Like, I think that looks so cool. And like you said, I understand this actor or like I've seen them in other roles and seeing them here is like, Oh, this actually works for them. Maybe I could pull that off. Is there something that you can remember? Like that, that really clicked for you that, that kind of made you switch it up. I mean, I remember being in high school and watching Mad Men and, and I like, I don't think I'm unique at all in this sense, because I think that, you know, a lot of people would point to that show as well as, you know, um, Tom Brown becoming a thing at that point as as sort of ushering in, you know, what, what became the sort of mass market slim lapel, skinny tie thing. But, but specifically with Mad Men, like I remember seeing, you know, a dark, dark gray suit and like crisp white shirt and then like skinny black tie with the tie bar and the white pocket square, like, and, and, and literally, and going to like, like Macy's or whatever it was and buying a black suit and like a skin and like the skinniest tie that they had available. Of course, at the time. Like yeah. I remember, I remember it was, so this must've been 2007, 2008. And so like Macy's still only had, you know, like the, the sort of wider ties, but they just had like this one that was like, I w- you would probably call slim. It w- I remember it not being as, as skinny as I wanted it to be. Um, but it was like on the slimmer side and they had one of them. And I just remember, yeah, beginning like the black suit, white shirt, black tie, the tie bar and then the white pocket square. And then, yeah, like basically trying to recreate that, that look, um, like for like, show. for like homecoming or something or you would just rock it. Oh yeah. Like, no, it was for a thing. I, oh, actually, okay. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what, what the event was. That wasn't just like me walking, walking around. Yeah. I um, love that. It was definitely like for, for a purpose, but I think, you know, at the time, you know, in 2008, when I started my senior year of high school, I graduated in 09, like that, that look had not proliferated, you know, the Connecticut high school scene yet. So I knew that it was like going to be sort of a thing that was different than other people because most, most guys like just didn't care and they were just going to wear whatever their parents bought them at, at you know, whatever. And they they might have some input in like the color or whatever, but I was like, that was sort of like the first, one of the first times that I remember like really obsessing about like, no, like the, the lapel of the suit has to be, has to be slim. And, and the, the shirt has to look this way and the tie has mm-hmm. to be this width and, and the tie bar has to look like this and the pocket square has to be folded a certain way. Um, of course that was one of the first times that I really, yeah, became oh, obsessive, uh, obsessive about those details and, and like yeah. trying to put them in my own outfit. We all remember that golden, that golden single summer where you could wear the Ludlow slim fit suit and really be flossing on people uh-huh. until they all got it. <laughs> well, that, for me, for me, that was like, uh, when I was an intern in New York and I bought like a pair of four, eight, four raw denim jeans at the liquor store, J crew shop. Yeah. And like, it was like, I don't know what possessed me to like buy into that whole idea of being, you know, whatever I was 19 years old and, and being like, you know, oh, you know, you're not supposed to wear shorts in the summer. Like, you're not supposed to wear shorts. Like, real men don't wear shorts or whatever dumb, whatever oh, yeah. dumb thing Stupid. I had bought into at that point. And so mm-hmm. just me being an idiot in New York in the summer, 
being 88 degrees, 90 <laughs> yeah. degrees and just like, and just like being like, no, I got to earn these fades. Like this is prime time for these fades right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like and, a and, Southern preacher. In the, just, in the raw denim. Just, ju- just dying on the subway Dude, platform, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, pair yeah. Of four, but four, eight, four is being so slim too. Yeah. And just, just cooking, just absolutely Dude. cooking and, and steam rooming my, my legs. Listen, man, I don't think anyone knows, the, knows the expression suffer for fashion more than guys that got into fashion during the, the slim raw denim. Oh phase. My God. <laughs> you really had to like burn your, I mean, we're, there's probably, we probably lowered the population, the future population. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> stuffing our shit in those jeans for so long. Oh be like, my no, God. it's how they're supposed to fit. And you're like, it's you're like, remember it would always be like, you, you can't really button the button for the first few weeks. And I'm like, I don't now that I'm older, I'm like, I don't think that was silly. it. That was silly, not, silly, there's silly. no way that was the truth. No, yeah, no, you're they're, you're they're supposed to hurt. They're supposed to hurt for the first couple weeks. You gotta break them in. You gotta I'd bruise and, and hips. I remember that feeling well actually of like wearing them for a whole day, and then yeah, you sort of get out of them and you're like, damn, like yeah, like is my yeah, hip yeah. bruised right now? Like, what is going on? Um Dude, the little ditch behind my knee, I remember breaking in a pair of naked and famous weird guys, left hand twills. And that first couple of days, I would take off my jeans and I would have like it was like like not like a rash, but it was like clearly like every time I would step it would like suffocate behind my knee and irritate and <laughs> it was like turning into almost a rash behind my knees because of how rigid and tight and hot it was just cooking in there dude i bought i had the i had the uh, uh what is the really heavy ones uh unbranded no 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 the ironheart Ironheart, yeah, oh, that's yeah, yeah. it. I get it was whenever they first, and this was the only place that had like the twenty-one ounce at the time. Mm-hmm. Like no, I no one else had them. I paid a mint for them too. Yeah, I got them, put them on at home. I'm like, here we go. Everyone's gonna be so <laughs> jealous. No one ever noticed. I couldn't sit down on the goddamn train into work every single day. I was just standing, sitting hurt. Yeah, and then I would like basically stand at work all day. And I remember one day I got home and I was like, this is it. I'm done. No one's asked me about these jeans. <laughs> Nobody cares about them. I'm dying. I haven't sat down on a train in a week. And I just like that. I took them off. I sold them. I bought a pair of vintage Levi's and that's all I do. now. I've never gone back. Yeah, it was, it was a strange time, but you know, it was also, it was also, you know, formative in terms of, of exploring and understanding like what made, excuse me, what made quality jeans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I appreciate it for that sort of education, but like looking back, like, yeah, what a, what a dorky move to like dorky. Cause people would ask you, they're like, they're like, aren't you hot in those? And, and, you know, you'd sort of try your best to be like, well, yeah, but like, you know, I'm trying to like break these in or whatever. Um, and sort of try and brush it off. But the truth of the matter yeah. is like, yes, I'm dying. Like screaming inside, please help me. Yeah. It was like, every time I would wear a suit, I'd like have an event to go to and I wear a suit. I'm like, why aren't we wearing dress pants all the time? Oh these God, feel so fantastic. Good. They're like pajamas. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I think like, you know, even, even today, um, you know, something like a, a tropical wool pant is going to serve most people better in warm climates than any denim, regardless of weight. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing cause I still wear jeans most days, but I just, I only wear vintage ones that have basically already had like, you know, 10 years of wear yeah. into them. And then I, you know, I break them they break up and I throw them out and it's no big deal. And like, or I, or I buy them pre-washed. Like I just can't, I can't yeah. go back now. I, but do, also, I do wonder, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I do wonder like if, if, you know, the whole idea of breaking in raw denim and then like aging out of that whole thing is sort of like a symptom of, you know, just like 
you know, being past being like past my prime, like in the way that like an athlete would be past their prime is like, you just, I, just, I just, I just don't, I just don't have another pair of raw denim break-ins in me, you know, guys like yeah. I, I'm my, my, my knees and, and my back are aching. You know, I just, I don't have, I don't have another one in me guys. I got to hang it up. I just think that without it, it, without it having been raw denim that broke like the masculinity into clothing, mm-hmm. I don't think guys would have gotten into like, Japanese. Well, between that and Kanye wearing an FBT, I think between those two yeah. things, that's what like that's the catalyst that changed everyone from like you know this like hardcore. I wear jeans and a flannel and a leather jacket or whatever the hell into Japanese fashion, which I think has like yeah. which I think has advanced the plot in menswear by eons at this point. So it's for like sure. I respect what it did for the the, the sum total. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like I said, it just, it just was like an education to like understanding like why, like what selvage is, which is like a very one-on-one thing, but like you got to start somewhere. And so that the entire denim world was, was very formative and educational in that respect. Yeah. 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 I have a question for you, Jake. So we, we talk about this a lot too. And as you, you've been a guy who's followed this for a long time and I think is going to have an interesting perspective in that most people we've talked to either, either have worked in on this side of things like selling selling physical clothes to like working in retail of some kind versus like on the media side i wonder how do you view like there's so many great new brands that are direct to consumer and i totally get why I, i've worked both sides of i've worked wholesale i've worked mm-hmm, retail mm-hmm. i've worked in a direct to consumer business like I, i've i've worked in a little bit all of it so i understand why it's happening you know what i mean and and i think that if you're able to control your own market and do all these things i think it's great but I also think that like there's still a place for, I mean, obviously because of what I'm doing, but I still think there's a place for multi-brand retail, but I also understand that like, it's a completely new landscape when you look at it now. And I'm sure this is something you've thought about before. Like, how do you view those two things? Do you think they're still both necessary and don't mean you don't need to take the gloves off for me. I don't care. So uh, just so I'm understanding the question properly, like uh, is there the need need for both a wholesale market and a direct to consumer market? Yeah, I think basically that's yeah. the, that's the that's the extent of the question. Um, I mean, I, I I do see I do see the benefit of both. Like, you know, I think that obviously the internet and you know the way that people can build off brands off of like a single mood board Instagram account, you know, lends itself well to a direct consumer business. But I think that there is also, you know, a benefit to having a store. You know, whether that is you know, a canoe club or just like a big department store mm-hmm. that people can discover a whole bunch of things under one roof. Like I think even, even though like the, the, the idea is that, you know, the internet has made it easier to like discover new things. I think as, as people move more into like an algorithmic consumption of, of media, you know, like meaning that this sort of algorithm is designed to feed you stuff that you already want. And that, that can sort of double or triple down on, on taste and makes actually discovery maybe a little bit, I wouldn't say harder, but, but maybe less likely in some, in some regard, because you're not actually doing the curation. You're sort of like letting the app sort of steer you down the river, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you, if you have like a great store that carries a lot of different products, it's like a great way to discover things that you might've not otherwise uh, discovered or, or, or find. So, you know, I, I, I think from a like uh, price perspective, I think there's a benefit to direct to consumer just for obvious reasons. If they can, if they're fully committed to that business model, 
of being able to cut out, you know, the sort of the sure. middleman. But there, there is something, and maybe it's just like nostalgia or romance for the idea of going to a store and like looking around and being like, I don't know what this is, but I like it and I want to learn more. Totally. Um, and, and, and if you're going to just individual stores for particular brands or you're just only subscribing to certain drops from certain brands that you already are aware of and already like, um, you might be missing out on, on the chance to discover a lot of newness that um, that's out there. Yeah, so I, like, I, I see, I see benefits of both. I, I really feel like the need for it really hasn't changed. I mean, the, I think that a lot of times when you look at stuff like this, especially business wise, it's like the landscape changed again, but the needs of both are still identical. The DTC is still trying to cut out the middleman. Cause it's like, well, I can cut out the cost and I can do this. Well, that's great. Well, you control your market now for the most part. And that's awesome. But at the same time, because things move so fast now, as soon as, as soon as people started to figure out DTC, then it was suddenly like, there's a million of these and a lot of them are starting to look the same. And you're mm-hmm, like, how do I mm-hmm. parse out which ones? And you know, the way they're being fed to me, it's like, it can be a little hard to know, like, is this thing legit? Are these guys good? Like who's vouching for them? And I feel like I'm basically doing exactly now to where it's like, I've seen some cool DTC brands happen. And then you start looking at, you see more and more because of like you're saying, because of what the, you know, what Instagram or whatever is feeding you. And then you get to a point and you're like, well, shit, I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. I kind of need someone to vouch for it. And it's like, so we're right back to the reason multi-brand existed in the first place was to sort of like represent, a, you know, a, hopefully we find a different word for it as we grow, but curation and and like and, and kind of vouching for the brand and saying, no, 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 we fuck with it. So it's like, you know, it's we, we think it's legit and here's why. And you're kind of retelling the story because I think that's what happens sometimes with DTC brands. It's not that they don't have a story, the way they get pushed to you, it's not, it's not at the forefront of the, of the business. You know what I mean? So it's like, I I hope that like what we're doing in, in, in conjunction with like making sure that our business has like, is a community of people. And you know, it's, it, it feels like, it feels like it's bigger than just buying clothes from someone, which is our, our kind of our whole strategy. It's like also like, man, I think people will kind of eventually need that curation again because it's dense and it happens really fast. And, mm-hmm. but who knows? I mean, it's like, it's like you said, I, I think about it a lot where it's like, I totally get why people go to it. If I want to buy Gucci, I don't always want to buy it from like, a retailer or like even if it was Barney's or something, there was a time when, when physical retail was different, but it's like, I kind of want to buy it directly from the brand cause you get the boxes and shit. So I get, yeah. I get it both ways, but I, um, we're, we're really about like the community aspect and making sure that people feel like, like it's like, it's more, it's buying from friends, not just, you know, like you're supporting something bigger than just like yeah. buying a piece of clothing. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the other benefit of, of just from buying directly, if we're talking about, you know, a brand that does both, I think, you know, there, there is some, and, and you're talking about like a designer brand, you know, be, being in that store's environment um, is also just a, a matter of selection. You know, I think that people sometimes just want to know that they have like every option in front of them to a certain extent. Yeah. Especially, especially if you're oh, that's a great point in yeah. something that's really expensive, like a handbag or something like that. It's like, I, I want to see all 50 options to know that sure. like I'm, I'm choosing the best one as opposed to like what some department store buyer has deemed like most likely for customers to like to, to a certain extent. Um, but, but you know, for the kinds of brands that you guys carry, yeah, I think you guys are doing a great service in terms of introducing them to new people. Um, and, and like you said, vouching for, for certain brands, because I, I definitely agree that, you know, you'll see like a sponsored ad on Instagram or something. And you'll be like, what is, what is this brand? I've never even heard of it before. And you'll be like, oh yeah, like the products look cool. Um, 
in these photos or whatever, but I've never heard of it before. And so there is that barrier to entry where you're like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I haven't really seen this before. It looks good in pictures, but will that translate to in person? Um, and you know, if you have the benefit of, of a store that you, whose taste you trust and then can see uh, a brand there, it just, it just instills a certain amount of confidence that I think is, is, um, is valuable to, to consumers. Yeah. I think it's just important as long as you, as long as brands can understand the landscape, I think you're, like you said, it, that, uh, that part has changed, but the, like the challenges are still, uh, the reasons for both are still pretty much exactly the same. It's just the way you deliver them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right, but we're kind of heading to the end of things here. And when we wrap things up, we do a thing called hot takes. It's really just us asking questions to try to elicit hot takes, basically. Yeah. So okay, fair we, enough. We had a couple because we know you're a little bit of a car guy too. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay, Chase. I don't remember the exact parameters so, we around this. Do you remember? Yeah. So so let's let's say this. We give you forty thousand dollars. Uh, actually, let's do this. Do no, the other, do the no, other one first. No, t- one. no, no money two, limit. We have two today. You've got, you've got no limit with money, right? And you can have any car on the planet, but you don't have another car. It's the only car you drive for the rest of your life. Let's just assume it runs well. N- no fucking around with that. But you don't get to have a, a weekend driver or a grocery getter. This is the whip. What is it? Uh, Audi RS6 Avant. Let's go, bro. Oh, he had a hit a quick. There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us to get, elaborate. Yeah. What's what's your reasoning behind yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. one? No, 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 no. Um, I was surprised at how quickly the answer came to me, so I was sort of just letting it float out there. Um, yeah, I think that you know it does all of the things. I think it's got a twin turbo V eight that you know uh, an aggressive marketer might argue is very similar to the one that is in like a Lamborghini, um, the Lamborghini SUV, as well as like a uh, Porsche Cayenne turbo. It's like the kind, kind of starts as the same twin turbo yeah. V8 in sure. all, in all of those cars. Um, it's, it's big. So you have, and, and you know, being a station wagon yeah, or, or it has, it has the uh, capacity to carry all of your things. Um, but because it's not an SUV, it's going to sit lower to the ground, which is just automatically, it's just physics is going to improve the handling and stability yep. of the car. Yep. And like I said, it's just, it's just like a, it's just a rocket ship. Like, um, it's designed for, you know, German businessmen on the Autobahn to like cruise to work at 140 miles an hour and just like yeah, without breaking yeah. a sweat. And, you know, it, it just, it drives well. It has, uh, like I said, cargo capacity. If you have additional people, you know, it's got five seats that can fit people like adults comfortably in the back seat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it looks really, really good. It does. It does all of the things. It checks all of the boxes. If it's not necessarily the best at any one thing, it's like top tier at all things. So for sure, I, I would for say sure. that would be that would be the one for sure. I'm, lo- I'm looking at photos right now, and like my generic my generic answer would have been something like this. I had two two answers, but yeah, bro. I mean, this I might spin on this car for a while now. It's got, it's got the energy of, I, my hot take is that I'm not, I like, I I think cars are beautiful. I like looking at them. I like following, you know, what's going on with and everything, but like, I've never really like, I just don't, I don't love driving. I got like in a bad car accident when I was a kid. It always kind of threw me off of the whole thing. And then I moved to a city where I didn't need it. And then, so we barely ever, I I basically never drove and I just got used to it. There's only, there's like three vehicles that interest me. Lincoln town car where someone else is driving. That's number one. <laughs> the, the second one would be st- stock suburban, n- nothing yeah, yeah. black, regular, like take me to the airport car. 
or the like a basically like a Mercedes wagon because I like I like the idea of that like grocery getter, but it's kind of a yeah. it kind of it can rev up a little. Yeah, I think I mean the first two are interesting because they seem like they like the Lincoln Town Car thing is interesting. It it, it seems very like you know, when I was a kid, that was like the fancy yep. car, you know? Yep. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you got it. You're there. Like, yeah. It's like, that's, that's the fancy car is yep. someone has a Lincoln town car. It's like, Oh, that person must be rich and they must have a chauffeur. Like yeah. they do that, not sit in the front sort of, seat. I don't know what this front seat looks like. Exactly. Yeah. And then the suburban, um, my parents actually had a suburban when I was a kid. So I, I vouch for that as well. I mean, that car was was you know ski trip car like yeah, you know ass. there were there were three kids in the car um so you know you had two two in the front and then one one kid could like claim the whole yeah. third third yeah. row situation and, sort of, and it sort of split up you know it's like long car trips you like sort of want you know you you and your siblings to like be be separated a little bit lest like some angry argument break out yeah so, so that, the family's like happy but it also looks aggressive for some reason <laughs> Yeah. And I think like the, the, obviously the main downside of it is just, you know, from a gas consumption slash environmental perspective, it's, it's a nightmare. I think they probably were getting like nine miles to the gallon on a good day Um, and and like a 22 gallon tank. So, you know, with today's, (laughs) it's obviously better than it was, you know, I think whenever was that last year that prices were really, really high. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine filling up like a old Chevy Suburban in Los Angeles in late 2021 or early 2022. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must be that must be like a two hundred dollar, uh, two hundred dollar situation every couple of weeks. Yeah, not, yeah. Our one of our uh, one of our employees here, one of our coworkers, he drives a forerunner, and he was filling up. He, he his commute time has has cut down drastically, but he was filling up once a week a massive like mid two thousands late two thousands forerunner. Once a week to People commute, love those and it's here. like holy shit, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I also, I also love a a forerunner, but also, yeah, exact same thing. Not, not the most economical. It's, it's just really. I mean, even, even the new ones, they're still using like a really old engine that Toyota hasn't yeah. updated in like fifteen years. So it just the priorities were not the same fifteen years ago in terms of efficiency. So I, yeah, that, that's, I love, but, but, they're, but they're amazing and they're like bulletproof cars. So oh, I, for I sure, love them. I love the concept of them. Definitely. I could, I could never, I could never do the gas game. I could never, even if I had all the money in the world, it's still, it, it'd make me too anxious to spend that every two weeks. You know what I mean? What's, but what's I love the, the idea. E- what's the EV scene like in Boulder? Oh, massive brother. Yeah. I mean, I would say when I first moved here, you know, you'd see a Tesla or a Tesla SUV and be like, damn, I didn't know I was in the fucking future out here in Boulder. You know what I mean? Cause I'm from central right. Ohio or, you know, Northeast Ohio. And we certainly didn't yet. have that. <laughs> they hadn't even heard of t- Tesla, <laughs> but, uh, out here, man, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. They're, they're, especially in, in like our little nook of the woods, so to speak. Um, a lot of EVs in our parking garage for the store. There's one of those little, uh, is it like the Kia SUV? It's kind of small and compact and looks oh, super no, futuristic. No, no. It's the, a it's, Hyundai. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that one that looks like the Terminator. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look like a little like a little bug. Um, yeah, but we've got like I mean, it's the it's the thing like you'll see all those like weird like Polestar or whatever. Oh and the, yeah, like, Rivian and all that. There's yep, like yep, every, like yep, everyone's yep. got those here. Like it's not like a it's not like oh, oh you never see those. I feel like I see those. They're six just times they're just as common as a, yeah. a Chevy Malibu. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. What was the other one, Chase? What's the other? 
Oh, if, if, oh, if so you were if bound you, by forty grand. Yeah, if you're bound by like an at like a forty thousand dollar car, you got it. So you got to be below that or like right at that. What car then? That's still the only car that I could have. Yeah, same, same, um, same, yeah, same stipulations. Setup. Yeah. I would probably go with a GTI at that point. Ooh, um, nice. I had one of those. I had a 20th yeah. anniversary. Like I would have said golf R, but they, but I don't think you can purchase uh, at least. Well, I, you might be able to purchase an older one for in the 35. So if, if, yeah. if I can get a used golf R for under 40 grand, then it would be that. But nice. if not, then I would just go with the GTI. And, you know, I realize now that I just said Audi and Volkswagen. So, you know, good, good plug for them, I guess. Yeah, um, man, you Volks- love Germany. Yeah, at Volkswagen um, and their larger auto group. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's just another, another good car that, yeah. that does all of the things. Um, you know, I, I also really like, you know, like a Civic Type R. But yeah, I, yeah. I I acknowledge the fact that driving a manual every day is annoying. Like if it's the only car that I can have, like I'm I'm Fair. capable of, of driving a, a I'm capable of driving a manual just for the record. Yeah. But dry, doing it every single day, especially if you're living in any sort of urban like area, is yeah. just that's just not fun to just no, see traffic just like shifting between neutral and first and so, second so your, gears all day. Your daily is, is automatic. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I would, I would, it would have to be if it's the only car that I have just okay. because okay. of pure, of pure laziness. Yeah. And, and the RS six Avant only comes in an automatic. Oh, and, see, that's and a bummer. It, I, it is. It is. Yeah. I don't think Audi doesn't make any manual cars anymore though. Oh, they don't, they don't do it. Do any of them. See, I love it, dude. I, my first ever car was like a Nissan Sentra. It was manual. That's how I learned how to drive. And then I got like a GTI for a second. It was like a 20th anniversary, the yellow one. And it was manual. And then I had a Hyundai that was manual. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm going to, I, you know, I <laughs> use the rest of my student loans after I graduated college and put down a down payment for a 2016 Honda Civic, which I'm still driving. And it's really Amazing. reliable. It's 2016. I, I'm just about to hit 76 K like I'm the only driver. It's awesome. But my next car will be manual. I miss it so much, dude. That's so interesting. Even, even like just you're daily driving around Boulder. Like you're like, Oh, I could manage this. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I drive actually from Denver. Now we're trying to move a little closer, but my commute is 32, 35 minutes, give or take. And most of it's highway. But I don't know, man. I just, I really miss like, for instance, uh, my girlfriend and I have lived together for three years, but before she lived here, she lived in Portland and I would fly out and visit her. And before she moved, uh, she, she sold it, but she had like a manual golf. Uh, it was, it wasn't like the newest version, but it also, what it was like, wasn't the oldest, probably like 2013 ish. Um, it was manual and it was to this day, my favorite car I've ever driven just feels so good. Feels good to drive nice and sturdy. Um, it was manual. It was red and I would do anything just to have that exact car. If I had your setup where I just kind of like go bop, you know, just little, little neighborhood driving bop on the highway, pretty much on the highway till work. Yeah. I could, I could live with that. It would be the like quick trip to the grocery store. I'm like, damn it. I do not want to have to do all this shit and try to put on the music and all. I love it. I love the engaged aspect of it. It's uh, the car only moves when you make it move. I I, I love it. That, 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 that's true. And, you know, I learned to drive a, a manual, um, you know, in like a little, a little tiny BMW, like old yeah. BMW Z, Z3. Sick. Um, 
uh, around Connecticut. And that was a lot of fun. Like, I still think that that is a really, really enjoyable time, just to the nature of like, you know, sort of backwoods winding up and down sort of streets. Yep. yep. Um, but then I guess, I guess the reason that I, that I sort of was like, Oh, I don't want to do it every day. was sort of like remembering myself being in Los Angeles, you know, for the past couple oh, of years sure. and being like, yeah. and being like that, that's like, I, I have friends actually in LA, like one of my friends has like a Ford Fiesta ST that's a manual, yeah. um, in Los Angeles. And I'm like, dude, much respect because, you know, just, just thinking about even just on surface streets, bopping around, you know, from different neighborhoods, sitting in traffic, I would be like, dude, this would just be annoying after a while. But I, at the same time, I haven't really tried it. So maybe, maybe I would get used to it. But my instinct tells me that it, it might be a frustrating time, especially because when you're driving a manual, like to me, part of the fun is like being able to like rev it out and like push it a little bit. Yeah. And if you're just like, sort of feel like you're being held back by the nature of the streets you're on and traffic, it just is like, that's frustrating too. In addition to just having to do more work. Oh, for sure. For sure. And and I can think back to all the years of having my manuals and, you know, the odd times in Ohio that I was stuck in an hour and a half of traffic on the highway because of a wreck or whatever it might be. Like, there's no doubt it, it is uh, like sickening to remember how frustrating <laughs> you're, you're exhausted and you, and you know, you're burning the clutch and just just <laughs> oh, yeah. just endlessly yeah. and, and your and your calves and you get like shin splints and shit <laughs> after a while. Like It's so rough, That's but underrated aspect of underrated aspect of manuals is the calf workout dude yeah you you're 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 cooking that whole time you're putting in work but <laughs> y'all but, gonna uh, have the mail be back in the backseat of that town car just laid out <laughs> horizontal watching yeah, tv exactly. yeah. yeah you don't have to worry about any of that you well, just be like uh, i don't know what uh, they're sir, doing up there yeah good sir could you please just <laughs> tell me when we've arrived at our destination yeah. 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 you tell me when we're close to sweet green please yeah. <laughs> 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 all right man hey it's been jake it's been really awesome yeah, talking man. Pleasure, I, re- I really appreciate you doing this uh where, where can people where can people find you so people can find me um on my Substack, which is just my name dot yep. substack.com um and on tiktok is jake wolf style and yeah just I write articles for GQ. Um, I've written a couple things for Rob Report, and um, and yeah, so you know, you can you can you can find my stuff in various places. Um, Good yeah, shit. You whatever. look him up, you'll find him. He's got a nice little resume on him, and he's and like yeah, truly, I'm, around, I'm online. You know, I'm online. Yeah, he's on. <laughs> he's on the internet. Truly, anyone's listening to find that Glenn O'Brien uh, that that article. It's really good. And to hear that that was your first ever interview, that's crazy, man. It was. It's a. It's a really great piece. I've loved that for a while. Plus, and I like everything you do with TikTok. I'm not like a huge TikTok guy or anything, but I think that like you're, you're doing something interesting there, man. Uh, so I, I really support what you got going on. Oh well, thank you. That that means a lot. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Of course. All right, man. Well, you take it easy. Again, really appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll t- we'll talk again soon. All right, I'll have to take care.